0: Welcome to the 122nd episode of the Young Terps podcast from the Viner Forget studio. This is your host, Basin Viner. And your co-host, Jordan Viner. And on today's episode of the podcast, we're talking about the Terps' 63-20 win over Syracuse and, of course, all your Terps non-rev news. But before we get into that, this podcast is brought to you by Allied Party Rentals, your hometown Terrapin party rental resource. Allied has what you need. Whether you're hosting a large wedding, putting together a small luncheon, or setting up a street festival, Allied has the tents, chairs, linden china, and other accessories that you are looking for. Wayne from Turp Talk has known Donnie at Allied since 1995. Located right next to College Park in Beltsville, Maryland, and serving the entire DMV today. Contact Allied at 301-986-0067 or on the web at AlliedPartyRentals.com. And Jordan, now for the Terrapin rundown. Well, on the non-report this week, we have men's soccer. Uh, Maryland fell to
1: unranked UCLA at three to two on the road on Friday. Uh, The Terps scored in the 6th minute before giving up three straight goals from the Bruins. Maryland would score again in the 72nd minute and pushed hard
0: to score again, but not be able to force overtime. Yeah, that's why they uh, play these games so early in the season. That's why they have them every year. This year it just happens to be that they lost two of them.
1: Uh, The Terps will host number 21 Akron in a rematch of last year's national championship Friday at Ludwig. This is that game every
0: year that you highlight. Expect a big crowd at Love Field on a Friday. Yeah, uh, no football game on Saturday always helps that out. People are going to look to uh, get out and celebrate, and those games are always a blast. Uh, field
1: hockey defeated number 13 Boston College 3-1 in the first match of the ACC Big Ten Cup. They are playing number 3 Duke as we record this episode. Hopefully, if they beat Duke, they may be pushing the number one ranking next week. Uh, women's soccer has gotten themselves back in the win calm as well with a 3-0 victory over George Mason. The now 3-2 Terps are traveling to play George Washington this afternoon.
0: Yeah, and lastly, volleyball went 1-2, sadly, in the UTSA Classic. Maryland lost to both U-T-G- UTRGV, University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley, and Houston 3-2 before claiming a victory over the host team. The Terps are now 4-2, and two, and they host the Maryland Invite next weekend. Disappointing week for that team. Yeah, it is. Uh, they had some votes in the polls. They
1: probably will lose them now. But all they can do is try to get back on track at home, and that's really all you can do. They have some good opponents this weekend, so
0: if you're looking for something to do, Maryland Invite is at Xfinity Pavilion. And the Premier Lacrosse League playoffs kicked off this week, of course, featuring the Whip... I almost called them the Whip Turfs. <laughs> the Whip Snakes. And they advance to the championship with a win out of the two-seed over the Chaos. And really quick here, an interesting tournament structure, one of the the more interesting that I've ever seen. The bottom half of the league, in the six-team league, so the bottom two teams play for the first pick in the draft, and then the top four teams, if you're one of the top two teams, you get two chances to make it to the championship, and then if you're in third or fourth, you have to win twice to make it to the championship, but... Bottom line is, the Whipsnakes with all those turfs are advancing. Yeah,
1: definitely interesting. Kind of reminds me of some um, baseball tournaments in that you can win, you have a second chance if you lose, but definitely an innovative structure for an innovative league. And our last point on the rundown, both the women's and men's basketball teams have released their TV schedules. Uh, the women's team will have 15 games on national TV, 11 of which will be on BTM. Uh, highly anticipated matchups include against South Carolina, will be on ESPN, and three Big Ten games against Michigan, Ohio State, and Iowa. I'm sorry, and Minnesota will air on ESPN, too. Good exposure for the women's team, but it's something you expect at this point, considering how highly they're regarded.
0: Yeah, and of course, always scheduling that game against South Carolina, or UConn has a chance to be on ESPN. Uh, Good to see. I mean, obviously, you can definitely tell with those Big Ten games, they're looking for the teams that draw eyes, as they always do. On the men's side, we have 30 games on national TV, including eight on ESPN or ESPN2, and four or possibly five on network TV, one of the most exposed teams in America this season. Uh, The highlights of that are two games against Michigan State, both at home and on the road. That could be a college game day game. And of course, they have those CBS 1 o'clock time slots and some Fox time slots, too.
1: Yeah, hey, those are the TV games I was referring to. What the last game of the season? I can't remember against who's it against. Is currently slated to air on BTN. I get flexed into the CBS slot if it's
0: a big game. You see, for that uh, slot though, I don't think they decide a CBS team. I think everyone's on BTN with the chance of being flexed to CBS. My favorite thing though is no Friday, barely any. I think they play four Friday night or five Friday night games, including the scrimmage and the second game of the season against George Mason. And no more 6.30 weeknights.
1: Yeah, those 6.30 games, well, they had such a negative backlash against that last season, I feel like that almost forced their hand on that front. The only knock on this, well, there's a couple, but the biggest one that I see is three of our first four games are on BTN+, which just kind of sucks for...
0: Well, you're people. counting the scrimmage.
1: Well, one of them scrimmage, yes. So two of the first three, really.
0: Yeah, well, I guess you if you want to see the Terps early on in the season, you can either pay the BTN Plus or probably end up attending the game for less.
1: Actually, you're probably right about
0: that. I mean, you could probably get a, a bad ticket to the game, granted. A hot dog, a soda, a Chick-fil-A sandwich, and a lemonade, and probably make it out on top.
1: The BTN Plus is expensive. It's like 40 bucks a month or something.
0: Uh, well, if you're... It makes sense for some fans, like our friend Todd, that likes to watch all the other teams, but if you're buying it to watch one game, I don't even think they have free trials either, because people would just get it to watch one game.
1: But this is a good schedule, TV-wise, Now, I don't like the BTN games, like, I, it's not a knock on BTN, but it kind of is, because I don't like the basketball dancers they have, I just really don't, so I'm happy we're getting away from it for the most part of the season.
0: Yeah, I don't really think the SEC Network, the Big Ten Network, or I was watching a game on the ACC Network and looking at some of their shows. I don't really like any of the announcers on them anymore. I mean, announcing has kind of taken a downturn in my opinion. But I love the BTN football announcers. The basketball ones are kind of just whatever Fox team you really get assigned. It's not really a BTN TV. It's now just almost the FS1 TV guys that are on FS1 that night.
1: Regardless, BTN basketball is still leaves something to desire. A couple of notes on the schedule before we wrap this up: but, uh, the American Advo- of the preseason tournament in Orlando, Maryland playing in, is still yet to announce their TV partner. Probably will be ESPN, is my guess, but we'll find out. And uh, the Notre Dame game, which is the ACC Big Ten Challenge, is segmented differently. It will almost certainly be an ESPN event because ESPN puts together the matchups, but we don't know what channel that'll be for sure. But other than that. This is good for the program, it's good for the school, and hopefully we are worth the TV exposure we're getting.
0: Yeah, uh, I think they will be. Obviously, if they're bad, that will change. But, quick note on the schedule, Maryland is playing on Thanksgiving Day. Maryland basketball will be playing against Temple on Thanksgiving Day at 11 a.m. on ESPN 2 in Orlando. Sucks for the team, but yeah, I actually did not pick up on that Yeah, You're
1: right. That is quite unfortunate, at least for the team, but...
0: Yeah, so... No, there's a lot of basketball on Thanksgiving. Usually it's not in America, though. Usually it's the games in the Bahamas or the games in Puerto Rico, but not really the games in the United States.
1: I don't know who's going to that game, but that's a different story.
0: Yeah, so let's talk some Terps football. Obviously, yesterday, one of the more impressive wins that I think we've seen in years, the Terps 63, the number 21 Syracuse Orange 20. What Can you believe shocking that? What a game. Yeah, I really can't. I mean, I know
1: Syracuse wasn't, didn't have a great first week, but holy crap. Like, the Maryland's really, really, really good. Syracuse is disappointed and Garvey a little bit
0: of both, huh? I'm going to go with, I think Maryland really dominated the game. Now, Syracuse wasn't great. They were really bad, especially at the beginning of the game. But you're still talking about a team that did not give up a point last week, and Maryland put 63 on them. Go.
1: Yeah, Maryland's offense in this game was maybe the most efficient we've seen it against a power-five opponent in... Over a decade, really. Maryland in the first half just could not be stopped. Really, they couldn't. I think Syracuse stopped them once in the first half via punt. Josh Jackson looked phenomenal. He looked total command of the offense. Maybe the best Maryland quarterback for which we've seen again in about a decade. Rushing attack was as good as advertised, though Ant Ant-Mac didn't look spectacular. Except for a few runs, we'll get to that later. Re- receivers looked okay. Like there's nothing to really knock on this game, and it's it's a scary amount of optimism that comes out of this.
0: Yeah, I kind of compare it. Remember, I don't know if you were at this game or not. They beat West Virginia at M&T Bank Stadium, to nothing in Baltimore, right? I remember that. I kind of compare it to that. I think it's fair comparison. Yeah, for those who don't remember.
1: Uh, that was the fourth game of the season that year. Maryland beat West Virginia 37 to nothing in Baltimore, as we said. Or ranked 25 and then ran into Florida State, led by Davis Winston next week.
0: Yeah. So, when you're talking about this overall game, it, it's like... I'm not going to say it's like last week because, look, I know people are probably going to say now that Syracuse wasn't good and that Maryland just, you know, they got lucky. Syracuse was awful in this game. But let's kind of dive into this because... If you watch college game day leading up to it, all the experts picked Syracuse. Now, I know that I'm kind of ripping on Matthew McConaughey because he picked Maryland, but the experts picked Syracuse. Around the country, it seemed like all the writers and non-gambling people were picking Syracuse, and then on the other side, the Las Vegas side, everyone was taking Maryland. That's what led to the point spread being favored towards the Terps. I just think Maryland made a statement in this game. I mean, a national statement. This game was everywhere, especially when Maryland was up. I think it was like, what, 42-13? to 13? At halftime, yeah. It was everywhere. Another time that the Terps just managed to get themselves all over the place. And Coach Loxley talked about making that first impression. You only get one chance again, and boy, are they making one for themselves. That is a good way to start
1: off. Let's really start looking at the breakdown now. So Josh Jackson, as you mentioned, had a great game. 21-38. for 38. Two hundred ninety-six yards, three touchdowns and interception. I would say he performed better than his stat line in this game. Especially in the first half, he was ruthlessly efficient. The passes were crisp, clean. He knew when to threw the ball away, which is something you can't say for Tommy DeVito, which we'll also get to in a minute. He did his job. He looked like he knew what he was doing.
0: He was in control. He was calm. And he, he did everything he could have asked for. Yeah, I mean, address is really only one bad play, and that is, of course, the interception. Uh, In the postgame comments, he did say that D.J. Turner was actually supposed to come back to the ball. That's why the pass looked that way. And it was just a miscommunication between the two, and that's what led to the interception. Obviously, I don't really like the play that he made anyway. Even if D.J. did come back to the ball, I didn't really like the way the ball was thrown. I didn't like this whole scheme of that play from Josh. Um, He fires quick slants like Tua. I mean, now you're starting to see the Alabama offense from these guys. He's moving them out to the right, running those RPO plays that are just quick slant fires. This is how uh, Tua Tagovailoa last year at Alabama ended up getting so many yards in so many games because he throws a quick slant to a fast guy who just turns it up the field and takes it you know, anywhere between the 10 yards that they caught it away from the line of scrimmage and a touchdown. Uh,
1: moving on to the running back group, 354 yards for the team as a whole. Another great performance from the backfield. Uh, Javon Leak really stole the show, in my opinion. Seven carries for 107 yards, including the 64-yard run, two touchdowns. Jake Fuck got in there, especially in the last drive of the game. Five carries for 94 yards, touchdown. Ant-Mac was good, but maybe not as great as you would have liked with 75 yards and two touchdowns. Who really st- stood out for you here, Mason?
0: I'm going to go with Anthony McFarland, actually, because I think his, he has an effect. Now, it might not be showing up on the stat sheet, he did score twice, he did catch another touchdown too, but everyone's keying in on him. And boy, is it great that everyone's keying in on him. You're forcing teams to blitz you with more guys than they really want to send, and it's allowing those quick slant, easy passes that we haven't seen in years for Maryland be converted time after time again to a wide receiver group that, while a lot of people have concern with, is looking awfully good right now. Another guy that I really wanted to look at is Jake Funk. It's great to see him getting his run. Lolo Harrison obviously did not play in this game after re-injuring uh, that hamstring last week against Howard. They just got guys here. I mean, Funk just put the... I don't even want to put the nails... I mean, the nails were already in the coffin. He stomped on Syracuse. Also, uh, we didn't mention Clay Fleet
1: Davis got that number 67 yards at touchdown.
0: Just the options of this backfield are incredibly deep. That's really all I got to say about it. Yes, yeah, the strength of the team from the beginning of the season, being the strength of the team actually in the season, which is something that we haven't really seen at Maryland in quite a bit, but it's, it's just great to look at. I mean, 45 carries for 354 yards. It's an average of 7.9 yards a carry, six touchdowns from the group, a 64 yard run, a 54 yard run. I mean, if you just go down the list, Teon Fleet-Davis' long run was 21 yards, McFarland's 20, Jake Funk's 54, and Javon Leek's 64. That's a major explosion. Plus, Josh Jackson ran the ball for 14 yards when he took it.
1: Also, you gotta mention, when you talk about this throwing back group, Eddie McFarland had a spectacular cut to Ed in the second quarter of the first half. that think up at sports center. Do you know what I'm talking
0: about, Mason? Yeah, I mean, he had more than one in this game. But, yes, he definitely... Had some plays where he he snapped some ankles.
1: Um, pushing to the receivers room. Another diversified performance. We had Daryl Jones who didn't make a ton of noise in Week One. Leading the group with seventy catch, or sorry seventy seventy yards on three receptions. Excuse me. DJ Turner got in there this week, two catches for fifty three yards. Ant Mack, as you mentioned, two catches for forty five. Chico Cockle got forty five
0: yards. Just the really this game. Yeah, the guy that I want to hit on is Tyler Marbury, the other tight end for the Terps. His second straight week making an amazing catch and just like a foot, maybe an inch even, out of bounds this time. Uh, I mean, he's making the highlight plays. He's just not getting the feet down in bounds, and that's obviously what counts. That guy's going to be playing on Sundays. Dante Dimas early on was having a good game. And then my guy, Carlos Career. Um, a guy that I pointed out for a few years now, He's, I think he's in his sophomore, his redshirt sophomore year for the Terps now, a really long guy, one of the thinnest guys I think you'll ever see on a football field, but he scored his first career touchdown, congrats to him. Yep, and for those keeping
1: track at home, and I think we're going to keep track of this a little bit, um, on the big board, Demas and Daryl Jones lead the team in receiving yards at the moment, Daryl Jones with 127 and Demas with 125 after that drops off a amount. I'm interested to see who's going to be the receiving leader when the season's over, but I got the moments, but whatever the case, the receiver core, which we kind of thought was going to be a weakness coming into the season, has not shown it so far.
0: Yeah, I thought they had some guys there. You know, the guy that really has not done much, that I really thought was going to do a lot, is Brian Cobbs. He played, he had some catches last week, nothing this week. Uh, moving on to the defense that was absolutely dominant at the beginning of this game, um let's start with the turnovers that were forced the terps had one interception and a fumble recovery the fumble recovery came from Iende ace Ely, and the interception from jordan mosley i love the forced fumble though and the other fumble that they forced but they weren't able to recover both getting those pad levels low making contact with the ball forcing it out and then you know it's all about scrapping from it from there yeah
1: as far as player of the game goes just have to give to Ace Ely, in my opinion, six with seven tackles and a fumble recovery. Um, this, I think he also got an interception, but I'm going to double
0: check that. No, that was Jordan Mosley. Oh, my bad, then. Uh, Keandre Jones, two sacks.
1: Just the defense. This is something I have not said in a while. The defense was relentless with pressure in this game.
0: Yeah, uh, the Turps came up with, what was it, four sacks in this game two of which coming from Keandre Jones, they got after him. You know, you're talking about a really banged-up Syracuse O-line, who I believe their left tackle was out and their center was out, and it forced a huge shuffle across that line. John Hoke used his NFL-level scheme skills, really exposed that. And the Terps were probably, in my opinion, are missing missed their best pass rusher in this game in Shaq Smith and still came up with four sacks. This team last year, I believe they had 18 sacks the whole season. And now they have 12 already this year.
1: What can you say? It's a huge step up. Uh, there were a couple of drives. By a couple, I do mean two drives. Where the defense seemed to have break down a little bit. And Syracuse moved it to the field with just great ease. And that was kind of concerning to me. I don't know what happens, what happened
0: there because it really didn't look, just look like breakdowns. It yes. like they just lost their assignments. Yeah, uh, I think that Syracuse exposed them with the way they played. I mean, they got fast when they made a big play. They they ran up to the line like the Turps did, and that's kind of how these some of these games end up back and forth. But if you limit the big plays from Syracuse, which the Terps really did, uh, they weren't going to have many opportunities to do that. The one thing that I did find concerning was Tino Ellis got burned a few times in this game. I'm not going to really say Marcus Lewis got burned because the catches that were long balls uh, when he was on defense were really – I mean, they were fantastic, especially that one where – uh, the Syracuse guy caught it over the back of of Lewis. That was a great play. Tino Ellis got burned a few times. Antoine Brooks, I don't really think he's a safety at this point. He was getting split out onto the uh, third receiver for Syracuse, and he got beat a few times. But overall, I mean, you're looking at a team that's built to score a bunch of points, and you held them to 20 and blew them out. I, I can't really say there's much not to like other than getting Tino obviously getting burned a few times in the whole secondary, maybe breaking down on one or two drives. Yeah, but like you said, on the whole, it's, it's, we're always really playing hairs on that. Like, it is something to keep an eye on, but it's nothing to be really worried about yet. So, Jordan, I have a defense question for you. Okay. And you might have already been watching your bison in a once-in-a-lifetime game by this point, but you've probably heard about this play because it was quite talked about a lot. Syracuse was in a third and long situation, and Tommy DeVito ran the ball for, I think it was four or five yards on third and ten. So it was down to, I think it would have been like a fourth and four, and Syracuse got a holding penalty on the play. Do you take the penalty knowing that they would go for it with the current yardage, or do you just say, we stopped you on third down, let's go ahead and play fourth down and short? I would take the penalty. Yeah, and that's what Mike Loxley did, and I've, actually there was some judgment about that around a lot of people saying that you know you just play because you stopped him on third down but I think that shows confidence in this defense that we haven't seen in a long time from uh the coaching staff really to back them up play those third and longs and fourth and longs that Maryland has been so poor at defending and they went out and they did it I mean I was really surprised when I saw that coach Roxy took the penalty but the Turps came up with some big fourth down stops Throughout the third and fourth quarter, and that really inspired me because we haven't seen that much from Maryland. They've been awful on fourth and third and long.
1: Yeah, the church defense actually looks like it's on another level this season. And again, I do have to caution you to know how good their red circuit usually is. But,
0: but Jordan, in hard. my opinion, it doesn't really do, matter. Let me like, speak.
1: It is hard to, j- to fight against the impact this win has already had because. It- but you're right, by halftime, this was the most talked about game in America. It was, everyone was talking about Maryland being Syracuse, who's ranked 42-13, to 13, and they already beat Howard last week 79 to nothing. The buzz around the game, just in the early set, was unmatched. Even with Army and Michigan's epic battle...